We have to make an important distinction between a divisive person and somebody who is simply wrong. Are unorthodox ideals a problem? Yes, of course, they're a problem, absolutely. But it's sowing division with those unorthodox views that the Bible says is the real problem. Titus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 tell us that we are to warn a divisive person once, we're to warn them a second time. There is a measure of grace in the warning one and warning two, but after a second time, we are to have nothing to do with such a one. Romans chapter 16 verse 17 kind of adds on to this principle and says not only are you to divide from these people who are divisive, but you're to keep an eye on them. Why? Because a divisive person is a divisive person is a divisive person. They, They are always going to be that way. But the person who merely holds to an unorthodox view uh, is is different. A person who holds to an unorthodox view should be governed by Christian charity. You know why you need to govern them by Christian charity? Because you were governed by Christian charity when you thought a bunch of wackerdoodle ideas. You were, you were given charity when you were out in left field somewhere. And we need to make sure that we're careful with this idea of heresy or this idea of divisiveness. Are there people who are heretics and divisive people? Yes. Should we deal with them? Yes. But that step, getting to there, is a cautious step uh, and I think we, we need to learn uh, what steps we need to take before we get there. The unorthodox person needs to be governed by passages like James 1, 5, and 6. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there. Here's what the brother of Jesus says. He says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. James 1, Verse 5, now look at verse 6. But he must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Two things that I want you to see right here. Number one, a divisive person is not of Christ. We learned that last week. They're not of Christ. But the person who is of Christ is believing. They're a person of faith. Now, if they want wisdom, here's how we'll know it. They'll ask by faith. They'll ask God. They'll they'll genuinely be humble enough to seek God and be enlightened or be grown inside of their their Christian practice, okay? So we have to understand that they're a person of faith. The second thing that you have to see is that in Scripture, uh, those those who are of an unorthodox view as well as those who are heretics, are often driven and tossed by the wind. That phrase is referring to phony doctrines, false doctrines that come along down the pike. And so the one who is of faith needs to, and lacking wisdom needs to ask God for that wisdom. He needs to do so or she needs to do so in faith, knowing that God will give them what they ask for. And this... Uh, prevents them from being led astray. It prevents them from going this way and that way with every new idea that comes down the pike. We live in the 21st century, and over the last 200 years, there have been some really obscure philosophies that have been developed in in what would be a modern time. And these obscure philosophies are leading people deeply astray. Jehovah's Witness ideas, 
Mormon ideas, they're leading people deeply astray. They're, they're new. They're completely unorthodox and very new. And they just slightly twist it. My dad used to tell me all the time when I was a kid, he said, the devil's never going uh, to fool you, Nathan, with a $3 bill. Why? Because there's no such thing as a $3 bill. I know when that something is fake that doesn't exist. But the devil is going to try to uh, lead you astray by giving you something that sounds just enough right, but pulls you to the wrong way of thinking. So James 1, 5, and 6 is the person, or is what needs to govern somebody who has this unorthodox view. They need to be a person humble enough to seek God's wisdom. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 6, and I'm going to spend a little bit of time in Ephesians 4, so you can go ahead and turn there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 and 6 says this, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, this is for you and I. When we encounter a person of an unorthodox view, this is for you and I. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What should we be, church? We should be a humble people, a gentle people, a patient people, a tolerant people. We should be a loving people when we deal with people of unorthodox ideas. Verse 3, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How many of you know that unity requires diligence? Unity requires diligence. Verse 4, it goes on and says this, There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, but here's the, here's the kicker, one faith, one body of belief that you are to rest in, one trust in Jesus Christ. There are not a thousand versions of this. There are not many ways to God. There is one, and his name is Christ Jesus. So there's one faith, and then it says one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 2 Timothy, we'll go back to Ephesians 4, so keep your space there. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, Mark referred to this in our, in our time this morning. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. You know what happens when you encounter somebody with an unorthodox view? You realize that they're ill-equipped. You know what the scripture is there to do? Equip them. And you know how we use the scripture? We use the scripture in a corrective manner. We use the scripture in a reproving manner. We use the scripture in a training manner. Many people who get offended at the church that say, don't tell me what to do, they're not of our Father, trust me. Because those who are of Jesus say, teach me his ways, show me his life, let me see how he would have me live. Now, we might not like it all the time, and, and what I mean by that is not that God's law is not, uh, not good and not pleasing to our hearts, but we might not like it at times because it's downright difficult. You know what you have to do in order to walk after Jesus? You have to kill your flesh every day. You have to kill your flesh every moment, if you ask my opinion. 
You have to kill it all the time. This is what we're supposed to do. Scripture communicates to us that we're wrong, that we need correcting, (laughs) that we need training, and that only God's righteousness is the right righteousness. Only God's way is the right way. Ephesians 4, again, verses 11 through 16. And he, Jesus, gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. What is the equipping, what is the gift to the church for? What is the leadership of the church for? Verse 12 says, For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now that sounds really good. We, we kind of put that in a file folder and we just say it means what we think it means in the 21st century. To build up the church, to grow a big church, to have a great impact, uh, and, to, and to be comfortable as American Christians. But that's, that's the farthest thing from what the Apostle Paul is actually saying. He tells us that the, that the pastor and the teacher, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist are given to the church to equip the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body. And then he explains what all this means. Number one, until we all attain to unity in the faith. Do you know what is required to reach unity? Training. Equipping. You cannot come to the church, hear me, I'm not accusing anybody of anything right now, but listen to me clearly. You cannot come to the church thinking you know everything. We're already in the negative, (laughs) if that's the case. God rejects the proud. He gives grace to who? The humble. We all have something to learn. So he says, until we attain to the unity of the faith, which comes through equipping, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man or woman, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the, few, uh, to the fullness of Christ. Now, it's my interpretation of that, that it's not actually talking about individuals there. I think it's talking about the body of Christ, which man here would just simply mean man. It's Jesus. And we're being built up into him. He is the one. But nonetheless, all of us have a responsibility. There are individuals in this. We have a responsibility to grow in our maturity, to grow in our stature, to grow in the knowledge of the Son of God. So right there, what we're implying, whether we know it or not, we're implying that there are wackerdoodle ideas about the Son of God. If we are not full of our faith and full of the knowledge of the Son of God, then the truth is, maybe we don't know how to articulate it, but we don't have full understandings of who Jesus is. A full understanding of what he has come to do, what he expects of us. Now, if you wrote somebody off that didn't fully know Jesus right there, this would be a really sad situation. Why? Because you're dividing the body of Christ because you're uncomfortable with what they don't know. Now, can they be stubborn? Can people be stubborn with what they don't know? Come on, all y'all. Can we, uh, have you ever been stubborn? Some of you are lying to me. Silence is still speaking volumes here, right? So he says, we've got to grow to a maturity. That means that there is implicit immaturity. But verse 14 and and on down to 16 is just impressive. He says, as a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Do you know what it's like being a child inside of the kingdom of God? You're tossed to and fro. You got somebody telling you it looks this way and somebody else telling you it looks this way. But what you have is a faithful God who's telling you it's this way. 
He's telling you the right, the straight and the narrow. It's beautiful. The scripture tells us that we have to rightly divide the word of truth. You know what that implies? You can wrongly divide the word of truth. And boy, oh boy, do people do it all day long. So we have to let the text speak for itself. We have to get back to God's word. We have to submit to leadership, submit to authority, and understand that what God is doing through those gifts and through those uh, provisions for the church is actually growing us out of that childlike or childish thinking. That's what we're supposed to do, move beyond this. So children are moved by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. What do we do with somebody with an unorthodox view? Stamp them a heretic and send them out the door. No, no. If they're a divisive person, you deal with their division. And what they're doing. If they're a person who is immature and doesn't understand, it says to speak the truth in love. Verse 16. For whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Here's the other thing that you don't understand about that person who's immature. One of these days, they have an important role to play in the church. And you need them. Told you I was going to be candid this morning. I cannot stress how important it is uh, to make this distinction that those who hold unorthodox views can be brothers and sisters in Christ, but those who divide people need to be dealt with. Okay? And here's why because it's hard work to preserve unity. Why should we fight the good fight? Why should we endure with somebody who doesn't quite see it uh, the way the scripture tells us to? Because We're preserving unity, and preserving unity is difficult. Here's a a message for all you leaders out there. I don't care if you're a leader in the church or if you're a leader at your business or you're a leader at your home. Listen, there's an idea that comes in the world today that says if you're truly gifted in a particular area, then everything's going to come easy for you. Leading will come easy. That's the biggest load of nonsense I've ever heard in my life. When you lead, guess what you're committing to? Pain. When you lead, guess what you're committing to? Responsibility. When you lead, guess what you're committing to? Carrying the burdens of those weaker than you. When you lead, guess what you're promising to do? Learn. (laughs) Grow. Get better at what you do. Do you realize how hard that is? It's just as hard as watching a teenager go through puberty. It's that hard, okay? And as Christians, we're watching each other go through this maturing process, and it's like, ooh, that was painful. That was painful, but it's necessary. It's necessary. It's hard work to preserve unity, but listen to me, church. It's not work at all to label somebody a heretic and walk away. You can stamp a scarlet letter on anybody. But if you're not being like Jesus, one of these days, the scarlet letter will be stamped on you. You're the problem in this crazy division. Truth is, there's far too much of this going on in some circles of the church today. And sadly, it's not even over orthodox views. Many times, it's just over ill-informed traditions. Well, we've always believed this. So what? Did the Bible say it? Grandma and grandpa said, I don't care. 
I like Jesus. Your grandpa might have been a whackerdoodle. Okay? 